0: Hello
1: and welcome to Vitality Radio. I'm your host each and every week. My name is Jared St. Clair and today's episode is full of some really vital information that I believe you need to know. It's going to be a little bit of controversial stuff for some people listening. All I ask is that you listen through to the end. If this topic is a little new to you, it is one that I believe everybody needs to hear both sides of. That is one of the biggest reasons that I do Vitality Radio is to give you the other side of many of the stories when it comes to our health, our health freedom, because there is, I think just about everybody can recognize at this point, a very specific narrative that is given to us by media, by government, and by uh, medicine, medical doctors, medical schools, pharmaceutical companies. All of those groups have a very specific way that they would like us to perceive what they're doing when it comes to our health. But there's always, in every case, another side. Today's episode, we're going to present the other side of a topic that uh, is one of the ones that may get as heated as just about any other topic that I ever talk about on Vitality Radio, and I'm very excited to present it to you today. Now, today on on this episode, about two years ago, I had this guy on And uh, I had just met him at the Your Health Freedom Symposium put on by our mutual friend, Kristen Chevrier, uh, here in Utah. And I spoke at the uh, symposium. He spoke at the symposium. I was riveted uh, with uh, his uh, presentation was just fantastic. I knew I needed to know this guy, even though I'd never heard of him before at that point. And we did have the opportunity to have a nice conversation afterwards. I invited him to come on. On the Vitality Radio podcast, and he was gracious enough to do that. Well, I'm really excited this year that we both get to speak at the Your Health Freedom Symposium again on October 7th in West Jordan, Utah. Now, before I introduce who I'm talking about, I want to remind you that that symposium is coming right up. It's October 7th of 2023, just in case you're listening to this, you know, six months from now. Uh, it's coming up October 23. 20- uh, sorry, October 7th, 2023, in West Jordan. You can go to yourhealthfreedom.org uh, to get your tickets. Yourhealthfreedom.org. This is worth traveling a bit for. This is a fantastic event with some amazing speakers. And one of the things that I've been trying to do, and I know you've heard some of them already at this point, is introduce as many of those speakers to you as I can in advance of the event uh, because. Every one of these voices needs to be heard. And again, that's one of the big reasons that I do Vitality Radio, is to get some of the voices heard that, especially over the last few years, have been censored uh, and shadow banned and all the other fun stuff that's been going on with media and social media. So if you have any questions about anything you do here on the show, you can call us at Vitality Nutrition, 801-292-6662. That's 801 801- You can also check us out at vitalitynutrition.com. We'd love to hear from you and help you with any of your questions regarding this episode or anything else you hear on Vitality Radio. And now without further ado, I'd like to introduce my next guest. His name is Andre Angelantoni, who became interested in about 2015 in vaccines when he heard that Uh, concerning injuries and negative effects were being covered up or completely ignored. Now, it's an interesting time frame, that 2015, uh, for a couple of reasons in my book, but let me finish his bio and then we're going to get into that. With a background in engineering and software development, logical rigor and fresh eyes, Andre led a team of 16 people and subject matter experts in creating the vaccine course. The vaccine course contains over 15 hours of content showing the little known but quite extensive damage vaccines are causing across the population. The vaccine course is currently available at IPAC, that's IPA-edu.org. Now that link will be available in the show description, uh, so you can link to it, to, and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about it during during this episode. While watching the COVID vaccine debate unfold, he was able to spot the same techniques he saw being used with traditional vaccines to make the COVID vaccines look better than they actually are. In collaboration with Liz Wilner, the founder of openvares.com, he will present some of these techniques at the Your Health Freedom event on October 7th, 2023. Andre Angelantoni is the founder and project lead of the vaccine course. Andre, welcome back to
2: Vitality Radio. Thanks for having me, Jared. It's great to be back.
1: Well, it's exciting. You know, we haven't talked in a long time, and it's great to see your face again and hear your voice. I am always, uh, frankly, kind of fascinated with what's going on in your life because I love what you're doing and enjoy the work that you've presented. So the first question that I'm going to ask is a question that is um, thrown kind of back at people when they say well look at open VARS or look at the VARS numbers. Now for those of you who aren't aware of vares, it's V A E R S, V A E R S. It's a government program called the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System and open vares is a much easier to read version of that. Essentially, it gives uh it's it's a little easier for the uh, layman's eyes to be able to see what's going on. There was a big sudden surge in VARES cases uh, during the rollout of the COVID uh, vaccines. And um, one of the big things that I heard all over media, Andre, and I know you heard the same thing when anybody would bring up VARES was, well, it's a volunteer system. Uh, there's no real controls on it. How the heck can we even trust those numbers in the first place? <laughs>
2: Yes, that's actually the very first question to get answered about VAERS, because it is the one that people ask. And if you if you point out trying to use or if you try to use some of the data from VAERS, that's what people are going to say. They're going to say it's not a trustworthy system. Now, there is, to some degree, some truth to that because of the nature of the system. So let me back up a little bit and describe. So VAERS was created with the 1986 legislation that uh, President Reagan signed, and that was part of... Um, setting up the injury compensation program for when children who receive the pediatric vaccines, when they get injured, at that point in time, the uh, manufacturers were getting inundated with liability lawsuits, and they were paying much more money than they were getting back in profits. So they basically blackmailed the federal government, and they said, if you don't take away these lawsuits from us in some way, shape, or form, then we are gonna just stop making vaccines. So the the governments of the world, not just the US, they deem vaccines as necessary medicines. So they could not have that. They needed to make sure that the vaccines were always available. So what they did is they created the compensation program, which is completely failing, by the way, you can go online and read about how that's failing. It sometimes takes up to 10 years for injury compensation claims to get adjudicated. Um, in the meantime, the parents are selling their houses or mortgaging them. It's just a disaster to pay for the damage the vaccines have done for their children. And one of the other things that was part of the deal was that there needed to be what's called post-marketing pharmacovigilance, which basically means we're going to watch what happens once we inject these, these um, biologics into people's arms. And we're going to make note of whatever the damage is. And then that will tell us if there is some sort of issue. So the but when you make these sort of pharmacovigilance systems, you can make either active systems or you can make passive systems. An active system would be something like, oh, okay, you have just injected this vaccine. I'm gonna actually, one of the people on our team is gonna call you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. and is gonna ask you, did anything negative happen? It's very out there's outreach and there are people tracking, and there's a defined time frame when the tracking occurs. VARS does not work that way. VARES is a passive system. In other words, it's up to the medical professionals or individuals, because the public are also allowed to submit reports to submit these reports. So because of that, people automatically think, oh, well, anyone can report anything, but that's not actually what's happening. People are reporting genuine problems, real things that have happened to people. The idea is that the database collects all these things, and then, It's analyzed to see if there are signals. One sort of signal would be, well, if we keep on seeing a lot of eye damage immediately after a particular vaccination, maybe it's the vaccination that's causing the eye damage, for instance. So that's how it's supposed to work. And before the COVID vaccines, roughly, I think about 86% of the reports were put in either by medical personnel or by pharmaceutical employees because they're also by law. They have to report everything that they experience. And now, since the COVID vaccines have come out, the ratios have changed. It appears to be closer to about two-thirds. So two-thirds of these reports are by medical professionals. And it's just not, it it doesn't make sense to think that there are all these medical professionals that are submitting failing reports, or sorry, fake reports. First of all, I believe it's a felony. And it actually says so on the page that says, this is actually an official submission to the federal government. Um, by law, there are penalties. So it just doesn't make sense that a nurse or, or, or a doctor is going to um, put their license on the line. So that's right. the first thing. There are penalties against it. Uh, it's mostly medical personnel that are doing it. The second thing that I would say is that it hasn't stopped the CDC from submitting peer-reviewed research using the data in bears in the top journals out there. I can think of three studies right now one in JAMA one in vaccines um, and the other one I believe is in the Lancet so if the data is so unreliable that they can't they can't actually use it to identify safety signals why are they publishing in the world's top journals so that's another reason that you can trust Mm -hmm. it I would say the third reason that you can trust it is because what we've got is corroboration by the vaccine adverse event reporting systems in Australia and the yellow card system in the UK. We've got insurance data coming out of major insurance companies that are showing lots of people that are of working age that normally would not have any problems are all of a sudden being taken out by and they're they're asking for disability insurance and things like that so there's a great deal of corroboration I would say maybe the the Part B to that last one is uh, as part of the corroboration is finally after a lot of FOIA requests and the threat of a lawsuit the CDC did finally release their internal report that covered the the time period from December 14th, 2020 to July 29th of 2022. And in their internal report, using the VAERS data, they themselves indicate that there are 770 triggers that were tripped in the VAERS database. And over 500 of them, or two thirds, have a larger safety signal than the myocarditis one that everyone is talking about. So- So there are real problems happening to thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of Americans um, from these vaccines.
1: For those who are a little uninitiated on this, explain the word "trigger" uh, the way that you just used it.
2: So, in in the in the case of when you're looking for safety signals, you establish some sort of rule or algorithm, and it looks at the numbers and it says, "Well, if." The number is above, let's say you have a normal background rate of adverse events in the population that is maybe one per 100,000 people. Okay. And you say, well, we're going to consider that we have a problem if we see greater than two per 100,000 people, mm-hmm. because that's not usual. So a trigger would be they, they scour the database, they crunch the numbers. And they have found that adverse events are all passing whatever trigger they set for, and in, in this particular case, it is actually based against the baseline of the background population.
1: And so, 770 triggers that the government has specifically uh, seen and reported on uh, during the primary rollout of the COVID vaccines—that's that. I got all those numbers right. Yep and uh, you said how many were considered worse than myocarditis
2: 500 of them about two-thirds of them have a larger safety signal than myocarditis and we all know how big the safety signal for myocarditis is well, so it's one of the it's,
1: only ones that actually got any publicity at all right exactly the early stages yeah
2: but if there were any integrity in how people are reporting what's happening with these vaccines we would actually be talking about hundreds of events and it's it's hematological it's hemorrhagic it's neurological it's cardiac it's thromboembolic it's menstrual it's pregnancies lots of abo- spontaneous abortions by women who are uh, who get the vaccine and then all of a sudden they they naturally abort so this is the the range of adverse events is across every body system that we know of there does not, and that's in part because of the technology of these mRNA. People call them vaccines. They're not like traditional vaccines. I'm pretty doubtful that most people would have gotten them if they really understood that they weren't like traditional vaccines. Um, but the nature of how they, they these biological products work is that there is a lipid nanoparticle that encases mRNA And the lipid nanoparticles were developed by the biologic industry to deliver drugs to parts of the body that were difficult to get to because the body was protecting them, things like the blood-brain barrier. So if you want to get past the blood-brain barrier, one way you do it is you wrap your drug in a lipid nanoparticle. Well, they used the lipid nanoparticles to wrap the mRNA. And that's why we're seeing damage across every body system, because there's no part of the body that has any natural protection against these lipid nanoparticles.
1: But they told us when, uh, when they were rolling these out that the vaccine just stayed in the upper arm. That was the initial <laughs> reports that I heard.
2: Yeah, that was a complete lie. That was a complete lie. We actually had, there's a the very first study that showed lipid nanoparticles were accumulating in mice and Wistar rats was in 1992, and it showed that it was accumulating in the ovaries. And when someone, it was a Canadian pathologist, I believe, who foia the Japanese Ministry of Health, so it would be about two years ago. And he said, you know, under the Japanese law, you don't have to be a Japanese citizen to, to do a FOIA. And he said, show me all the the studies that you were given by Pfizer to in order for you to make your decision to give the go-ahead. And they returned a uh, report that he hadn't seen before and wasn't circulating in, in the American scientific circle. So that was interesting, got it translated to English and it showed, sure enough, once again, that the lipid nanoparticles were accumulating especially in the ovaries of the mice and the spleen. but it was basically going all over the place. So we these lipid nanoparticles have well-known problems. And it's 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 not truthful to say what they said. There was no way that they could have prevented those lipid nanoparticles from from moving around at the uh, at the uh, injection site.
1: So then, in reality, if if the goal of the vaccine was to uh, you know protect us from COVID and all this kind of stuff, the challenge then it sounds like, and and this is kind of me thinking out loud, I guess. Uh, For the researchers and scientists trying to figure this out is, okay. we have this technology, this lipid nanoparticle technology where we can deliver things to places that are hard to get to, but there's no barrier that that can't break. So we might let's just say we want to get it across the blood brain barrier, but we want to keep it out of the reproductive system. We can't do that.
2: Yeah, you can go to all
1: of those places, right?
2: Correct. And then the, the nanoparticles, there's nothing in the body that will stop them from getting to where they want to go, and that's just the nature of their size. They're so tiny, yeah. and typically what the nanoparticles do, and we we see this with the aluminum that's in the more traditional vaccines. So they use the aluminum uses aluminum nanoparticles. Um, these are somewhere around I think the hundred nanometer length. That's what qualifies them as being nanoparticles, mm-hmm. and even smaller. And what was hap, what's happening with those is the macrophages, which are like blood cells are picking up the aluminum nanoparticles at the injection site. And then they're bringing them all over the body. And then they're, when they die, they deposit them wherever they deposit them. That causes chronic inflammation. If it's in the brain, then you start to see um, the beginnings of autism because autism is simply brain damage. And, and it's largely, but not entirely caused by the aluminum. So these nanoparticles are insidious, and we should not be injecting them into our body. We we have evidence that people who live near highways that have high exposure to brake dust from 18 wheelers, for instance, have higher uh, cancer rates. Well, brake dust that gets in your lung forms a nucleus that then can create a tumor.
1: That's also a nano-sized thing,
2: right? Right. Bra- brake dust are okay. nanoparticles. Exactly. All right.
1: Okay, so then, of course, all of this that you just talked about is in regards to the COVID uh, shots. And I actually do prefer to call them shots or jabs as opposed to vaccines because they literally rewrote the definition of vaccines so that they could include these, right? They did not I don't know. I I really don't know with the audience listening to this show right now how many people were uh, very aware of this uh, during the COVID jab rollout. Uh, And so I am going to ask you some questions that might be, um, that that may have already been answered for some people listening, but I think everybody needs to understand. And so uh, some stuff that's a little more elementary, I guess, to people who've been paying a little bit closer attention to this. And it's an interesting thing because what I believe has happened, I've had so many conversations about this during and and since, um, you know, the lockdowns and the rollouts of the, of the COVID jabs and everything else. And I've had some really in- difficult ones, we'll say, uh, because another podcast that I do that, Andre, I'm not even sure if you're aware of this one. I have two podcasts now. The other one's called Dearly Discarded. And all I do is interview those who have been injured by The COVID-19 vaccines.
2: No, I did not know that. That's great that you're doing that. Not great that there are people to interview, but they need a voice.
1: Unfortunately, there are way more people to interview than I have time to interview them. Uh, The the group that I work with is React19. They have over 50,000 members uh, that are either family of uh, those who have died or people who are you know, still dealing with their injuries from the COVID vaccines. And it's a completely volunteer organization. Uh, The two people that started the organization were injured themselves. One of them was in the trial for the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, which never even got rolled out in America, but she was in the American trials for it. Her paperwork was completely whitewashed out of the Uh, end result of the study. Uh, You can't find her in the study, but yet she was in it. uh, And that's how she received the AstraZeneca vaccine in America, where it was never actually rolled out beyond the study. Um, And her name's Bree Dress, and she's she's the one that uh, I've partnered with on trying to get this information out with with, um, Dearly Discarded. But the reason I mention all that is because in the position I'm in, where I've spoken to so many who have been injured, uh, and unfortunately, I've also had conversations with parents of those who have died uh, on that uh, that podcast. I've had, as someone who did not get the vaccine himself, who was aware of what was going on and the concerns and everything else, I've had a front row seat as much as I possibly could to those who weren't so fortunate, who uh, basically believed that that was the right thing to do, or in many cases were coerced into it by potential loss of income, loss of jobs. You know, and so on and so on that we all saw. So there's all the sort of the backstory about some of these conversations that I've had. The question I have is, there because of the um, because of the way that these vaccines were rolled out, because of the safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective drumbeat that we heard over and over again. What we ended up with was a, a whole lot of people that um, got this. I think, by and large, thinking it, yeah, it's safe and effective. And what I have seen, and I'm really curious, what your response will be to this, is there are some people who are severely injured. There are some people who have died. In fact, if you look at the bears' numbers, do you know, Andre, what the number of deaths reported has been on open bears up to this point?
2: Well, this is actually a, a really good chance to talk to people about uh, a little bit about open bears. So, put a bookmark in, in where we are. We'll come back to that. Okay. But I just want to share with people. So if they want to examine these things that I'm saying, they should go to openvaers, which is open, and then com. And once you go there, you're, there's one big graph on the opening page that shows the increase in, I think it's deaths that they're showing on the, open, on the first page. But if they really wanna see a lot of graphs and a lot of data, what they need to do is at the top of the page in the menu system, you're going to see an option to click COVID vaccine data. And then the very first entry in the drop-down menu is called Red Box Summaries. And people have been screenshotting these red box summaries throughout the whole pandemic and sharing them online. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's highly censored, but it still somehow sometimes gets a, it escapes the sensors and people get to see it. So if anyone wants to see what the current numbers are for, well, let me just pull it up real quick and we'll take a look at some some data.
1: Yeah, I just pulled um, it up myself.
2: So uh, if they want to see deaths right now, um, you by default, it's going to show you all COVID reports, which, which includes international reports. So remember how I said the manufacturers have to report any vaccine injury. Well, if the manufacturer is an American company, but they happen to have a European subsidiary, they still will have to report, but the location won't be an American address. It'll be some someplace in Europe. So if right. you want to know, and it, obviously there'll be a European person who gets injured. So if you want to look at just America and its territories, you click that red button that you'll see at the top, and that'll switch to just US data right away, instantly. So looking at there right now, we're going to see that 18,093 deaths were reported. Where the person, again, 66% are medical personnel or work for the, um, the the pharmaceutical companies. They have to have a reasonable belief that the vaccine was plausible in the death of that, and that just usually means if you look at the deaths, that they happen within three or four days of the of the of the shot. So if the person is perfectly healthy, but then they get the shot and they die three days later, that's probably you should look at what was the last thing that happened to them. And the last thing in these cases was that they got the shot.
1: Yeah. And so we got 18,000 in the U.S., 30, I think it was 37,000 worldwide that have been reported. Now, here's the thing. And I actually have a couple of questions that I wanted to ask about this. One of the things that unfortunately seems to be just about universal, and now I've done about 30 interviews on the Dearly Discarded podcast up to this point, is that the medical establishment, um, the emergency room doctors, uh, the, the uh, general phys- uh, <laughs> GPs, uh, general practitioners, um, the specialists that they're going to for their neurological disorders, their cardiovascular disorders or things like that that they suddenly have in almost every case, not every case, but in almost every case that I've heard up to this point, because I've I've recorded about 30 interviews, but I've talked to probably well over a hundred people now um, personally who've told me their story. They are almost always told this couldn't have had anything to do with the COVID vaccines. The COVID vaccines are safe and effective. Yeah, And this is really they will common. fight almost to the death with that stance that it couldn't be that, it has to be something else. So if that's the case, and we have 18,000 deaths reported, how many deaths do we have that will never be reported or never be associated with the vaccine that very well may be the vaccine itself?
2: Okay, that's a really excellent question. And um, before I answer that, I just wanna point out that I did get the year wrong. It was actually 2012 for the, the first um awareness that lipo nanoparticles were accumulating in the ovaries. So I just wanted okay. to correct that. And um, the, um, the name of the paper is Shadlik. Schad- I think that's how you pronounce it. So to answer your question, uh, what one needs to do, and I'm really glad you answered this, because what one needs to do is apply something called an underreporting factor or a URF to every number that you see there. And the underreporting factor is going to be different for every different kind of adverse events. They're not all going to be the same. You can average them out, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But the reason that you want to apply an underreporting factor is because this is a passive reporting system. You aren't, like, if, if, they, if this were active and someone on the reporting team called up the doctor's office and said, okay, well, what happened yesterday? Oh, well, we gave five shots. Okay, did anything happen after that? Yeah, we had three, three people faint. That would go in the database no matter what. The doctor can't tell the person collecting the data, but I don't think it has anything to do with the shots. Because right. in an active reporting system, they don't do any filtering. In a passive for- reporting system, filtering self-censorship, if you will, is the norm. And there is a very low index of suspicion that vaccines can cause all these problems because for literally over 100 years, maybe even since the invention, actually, let's be fair, since the invention of vaccines, the the people who are in charge of the vaccination programs have suppressed injuries. And they've done it, which, with for a reason that they would say is a noble cause. They would say, "Look, it's probably better to suppress the injury. Yes, I know this person just died from the smallpox vaccine, but overall, we still think we're saving more people with the vaccine." Now, the reality is, those first vaccines were horrible. I mean, it's it's actually it's it's the the COVID vaccines and the original smallpox vaccines are pro- probably running neck and neck in terms of how bad they are. There are some vaccines with much lower adverse events rates than both of these vaccines. But what we have ha- had happened to the medical profession over the past couple centuries since the advent of vaccination is because the problems have been continually suppressed, they don't think quickly to go to the vaccine. And so what's happening now with the COVID vaccine as a probable cause. So what's happening with the COVID vaccines is they think that they just don't have the suspicion that it could be the vaccine, and therefore they they fight back. They say, no, it's not that. It's just coincidence. So the URF, how do you calculate the URF? Well, we know that it's at at the top end probably about 100. Like, you could actually multiply lots of these adverse events by 100. as the top range. In reality, it's probably not 100, but why do I say 100? Well, because there was a study that was, or a project that was commissioned by, I think it was the FDA, could have been the CDC. And uh, it was by the organization Harvard Pilgrim. And what they were doing was using a machine learning technique to automatically capture adverse events immediately after vaccination. And they were doing that by, by, hooking directly into the databases of the of the trial sites where they were doing all this testing. And when it came time for Harvard Pilgrim to produce a report for the FDA, they came back with the report and they were collecting 100 times more adverse events using this automated system than the passive systems were, were capturing. And so you would think at that point that the CDC or whoever was behind this project would immediately say, wow, this is a really great system. This is what we should do. We should implement this, Give, You know, go ahead. But what actually happened is the people who were managing the program stopped responding to Harvard Pilgrim completely. They stopped responding to emails, phone calls. They just went, they just were ghosted. What clearly happened is somebody inside saw that the number of vaccine injuries that are being caused by the normal pediatric schedule is so great that it would tear the existing vaccine program apart if it became common knowledge. So they were not, it was only a pilot program. They were not given the go ahead to continue. They had to by law because they had to fulfill the contract. Um, They had to submit this preliminary report, which is available online. And you can read what I just said. So, I think that there are people, this is a little bit of a side, but I think it's worth it, a little bit of a side note. I think there are people, not maybe a whole lot of them, but key people in key positions who know how much damage these vaccines are causing. And they take the opportunity where they can to kill that knowledge from becoming public. Okay, so let's now go back to the URF. So what you want to do with the URF, if you want to find out what is actually the underreporting factor is you can get studies that are much better at examining every single report, which is not what VARES does technically. I mean, they say they do, but they don't actually. But you can go in depth and you can assess every single one. You can go and you can talk to the doctors, and they do release these from time to time for various adverse events. So one of them is for anaphylaxis, which is the absolutely robust huge response that it's allergic in nature that the body does when it's under a great threat. And so what they discovered with a couple of those studies, those really in-depth studies, is that they found between, depending on the type of anaphylaxis, between five and seven times more than what VARES had. So you know right away that the URF for anaphylaxis is going to be somewhere between five and seven so take whatever number we see for anaphylaxis right now, which is 2,460, which, by the way, can be fatal if you don't have an EpiPen right there. Um, and you should multiply that by five or seven. So, so let's say six on average. We don't have really good URFs for everything else because they don't want to do the work. It's much better to have everyone think. And in fact, when when they produce reports that they submit to uh, Verback, for instance, they never use the URF. The whole world outside of the federal government understands that you must multiply these by a URF, an underreporting factor. What the federal government chooses to do is ignore that you have the need of that. And so the numbers that they're reporting up the chain are all wrong. They're all way too low. So other people like Steve Kirsch and other um Uh, independent researchers are trying to figure out what the urf is and i won't go into all the different ways they do it steve kirsch has used probably 18 different ways to to triangulate it and the and then two other researchers jessica rose came in with a number similar to his and one other fellow came in with a number and it looks like about 40 is the average urf under reporting factor so if you take all these numbers except for ones that are really well already studied, like anaphylaxis. Um, and there are reasons why I think they're missing some of them there. And you multiply by 40, you are in the ballpark. It's it's literally hundreds of thousands of Americans and millions of people worldwide that have been injured.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and it's interesting, too, because, you know, this, well, it sounds like and you're you're more the mathematician than I am here. Make sure I understand what you said just a minute ago, too, because you said that we have, you know, when Harvard um, Pilgrim did their study, it was a machine learning study. And uh, this is one I've read multiple different times over the years, but I'd never quite thought of it in this context. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Um, basically, they turned VARES almost into an automated or a, what, what did you call it? Uh, active.
2: Almost, system. that's right. They used right. a little bit As of electronic glue. System. That's correct.
1: Yeah. And so when we had an active system, at least briefly for uh, for that study, um, that one reported 100 times more than what we were getting through VARES. Um, but with the, the number that you're giving me, this 40 number now, that's specific to the covid vaccines correct correct okay that Jessica Rose and Steve Kirsch have come up with and correct. so we have and, and I would I believe I'll, I'll tell you my opinion on that and I guess you can tell me yours but there was so much publicity even with all the censorship of all of these numbers about the potential issues with the covid vaccines that were getting was getting out that I think people and just the rate of injury, Over such a short period of time, they almost couldn't be ignored nearly so easily as they were with the traditional vaccines that were given. And so now the rate comes down with COVID. More people are reporting it uh, because there's more awareness, more concern that, oh, maybe it really was these COVID jabs versus MMR or DTaP or any of the previous vaccines.
2: Yeah, there might be a little bit more, but the... And that's actually a really common question to ask, or it's a good question to ask. And Steve Kirsch handled this one. He said, Okay, well, let's actually take a look at whether that's true. And where the way he looked at things, he was still finding, for instance, that that one there was an office, I think it was a neurology office, where the the doctor was getting hundreds of new instances of damage to people that weren't getting into the system. So they are still not getting reported totally. There might be a little bit better, but we should still remember that all we're doing if you say that it's better for COVID is than in the than for the regular pediatric one, is it's showing how bad the pediatric one is.
1: Right. Well when I say it's better, <laughs> I mean it's a it's a hundred versus forty, but it's still forty times
2: underreported, right? Exactly. So
1: better isn't great if it's if it's that
2: bad to begin with right i and and i'm gonna maybe on this podcast uh, this is something that you can allow to to be broadcast and it won't um (laughs) get you into too much trouble (laughs) but when you really start looking at the 72 injections it's about 68 injections um uh for of the regular vaccines and then if you get the A vaccine, a flu shot every year—it adds up to more than that. Um, Sorry, fifty-four plus eighteen gets you to seventy-two. Right. So, if if you look at how much damage to the immune system all these vaccines of the typical pediatric schedule are doing, I think that you're going to find—I'm not trying to take away from obesity or anything like that. Okay, lifestyle choices, but I think that we're eventually going to get to the point where we're gonna understand that all those injections are causing so much damage that the vaccine program itself, the program that is supposed to keep us healthy is actually a major cause of chronic disease. It doesn't show up necessarily right away as in a vaccine injury like Bell's palsy or some blindness in one eye or whatever, but it can take decades because you've damaged the immune system, you've allowed maybe more tumor cells to grow that normally wouldn't grow, especially with the aluminum, aluminum does cause tumors. Why are we injecting babies with aluminum? Makes no sense. So my vision and a lot of people's vision out there is we eventually get to the point where we understand that all these vaccines are a major source of chronic disease. And if we wanna make the population healthier, we actually need to vaccinate far less than we are.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing. You're aware of Dr. Paul Thomas, I assume. I am indeed. Yeah. So Paul's been on the show twice. And uh, one of the episodes he did, he actually did an episode with me more recently talking about COVID shots. But uh, prior to that, he talked about his 10,000 patient study. Uh, that he did with his own patients as a pediatrician. If you haven't heard that episode of Vitality Radio, please go to it. We'll link to it in the show description for this episode because it pairs quite nicely with the episode that we're doing now. Because here's the thing, if you're a parent out there, a grandparent, or uh, maybe I'm lucky enough to have someone young enough that they're considering becoming a parent one day or whatever it is, one of one of the biggest challenges of parenthood is knowing what the heck is right for your child. Regardless of whether it's a vaccine or what school to send him to or do you send him to school at all do you homeschool uh, what religion are you going to raise him in or are you going to re- raise him outside of a religion what you know what are you going to use to clean the sheets that he sleeps in there's so many things that parents get to consider especially in the world today where we actually have access to a lot of information. Unfortunately, most of it is conflicting, right? You have some people saying, well, you know, glyphosate's fine. It's not that big of a deal on the one hand. And other people saying glyphosate causes cancer and it's a human antibiotic and we need to get it out of the food supply. And then you have people saying, well, detergent's fine. Scented candles are fine. But no, maybe they're not. Maybe they actually cause damage and create issues. All this conflicting information, What I encourage you to do if you're listening to this episode, especially if this is new news to you, if you haven't really looked too much on the other side of the vaccine coin, is to just simply not take my word for it, not take Andre's word for it. This information that we're presenting right now. It's very much available to you to do your own research. There's a book I interviewed, uh, Mary Holland, about the book, Turtles All the Way Down. That's another episode we can link to. You can take a look at what they're saying in that book. Um, I've interviewed Del Bigtree on this topic. I've interviewed a lot of different people coming from a lot of different walks of life uh, talking about this. The information is there, and it's a really, really challenging thing for parents because when you are raising children, the thing you want more than anything else is to protect the health of that child, and vaccines are meant to protect the health of the child, at least as far as we have been educated on it by government, media, pharmacy, doctors, and so on and so forth. So then when someone says, well, maybe they aren't protect- protecting the health of that child, perhaps they're actually damaging the health of that child, then yeah, you owe it to yourself and you certainly owe it to your child to look into which one of these things, because they kind of can't both be true. Which one of these things is true How do we find this information? So I would highly encourage you to check out Dr. Paul Thomas's uh, interview where he studied his own 10,000 patients, vaccinated versus unvaccinated, partially vaccinated versus fully vaccinated. And when he looks at their health outcomes across all of the different things that he sees in his pediatric office, it's all laid out in there in black and white, and you can see the difference in the health outcomes. And I can tell you, without having to listen to the episode, um, it doesn't look so good for those that are fully vaccinated by comparison to those who
2: were not. So, anyway, I wanted to get that. No, out that's. There, I
1: think it's a really important thing
2: to think about. That no, that's that's great. And actually, I helped with the the first study. I was I confirmed the formulas in. Oh, that's that right. Study. I
1: forgot you were involved in that. Yeah. Course, you know. So yeah, 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 I knew that, but uh, i have forgotten.
2: Um, no worries. And so uh, here's, here's okay, so that's an excellent book, Turtles All the Way Down. The other book that I would recommend people to read, which is just about to be released or might have just been released, is called Vax versus Unvax: Let the Science Speak. It's by Bobby Kennedy and Brian Hooker. And so this is a review of just the vax versus unvaccinated studies in existence to show that these kids are actually healthier when they're unvaxed. Okay. So now, how can this actually be? The and and one way you want to start thinking about this that will help is if you watch a TED talk by Dr. Stable Ben, and the title of the talk is called "How Vaccines Train the Immune System in no, in ways no one expected." The bottom line is that vaccines alter the immune system in ways we didn't understand. There's a common thought by doctors and researchers in this field and vaccinologists that we have a pretty good understanding of the negative effects of vaccines, and they're rare. If you talk to them, they'll say, it's only one in a million. That's what our studies are showing. But what Dr. Stable-Ben showed, she showed two things. Her team, she's out of Guinea-Bissau, which is a high disease pressure area in in Africa. And they had data where they had, just because of a quirk, I won't get into the details, because of a quirk of how they gave the vaccines to the children, they either gave the polio vaccine last in a series or there was another inactivated vaccine that had aluminum last. So the difference between the two, they, they didn't do this on purpose, just the way that it worked to actually give the kids the vaccines based on their birthdays, that's what happened. Well, they decided that, hey, we actually have a natural experiment that has been created that will tell us if the order of administration of the vaccines makes a difference. And I am shocked, Jared, that this YouTube video has not been removed. She points out that the data, and this is years now, this is four years ago, and it's been replicated in Pakistan and in other places in the world. She points out that for the girls, when the inactivated vaccine was last the one that had the aluminum more girls died than were saved by the vaccines when the polio vaccine which was they were using a a live polio vaccine at the time was last then the vaccines actually helped but what she points out at the very end she's very it's very somber she basically looks at the audience she says i'm sorry to say this but essentially paraphrasing we're killing more kids than we're saving and it's because there's this group think that vaccines can only be good that people don't understand all the ramifications of how we're damaging immune systems and so nowadays we think that it's normal for kids to be sick all the time that's not normal In the same way we found out with the the COVID vaccines that actually the people who get vaccinated more have a higher likelihood of getting subsequent infections. Okay. That was an interesting thing that opened a lot of people's eyes. How did that happen? Well, that's clear evidence that we're actually damaging the immune system, but we're doing that with the kids too. The reason why the kids are all sick all the time is because we've damaged their immune system with the vaccines and, and also antibiotics and other things. So I don't want to say it's only the vaccines because that's not true, but the vaccines are direct immune stimulatory drugs. They're designed, okay, whereas all the other things that we talk about are not designed to directly impact the immune system. So if you are giving a child a drug that is intended to last for about 20 years, you should expect that some of these kids are going to have side effects that are at least 20 years long. So we have to so what what there is the challenge for us to do Jared is to change the whole paradigm to, under, to to teach people that these vaccines are actually causing damage. You will find data that shows they get less infections by polio or whatever, okay? For the traditional vaccines there is evidence that that works. But if you start to look at the other side of the ledger and you start to look at all the cancers, why are we injecting can, you know aluminum cancer causing aluminum into children? That's just silly. Okay, when you start to look at the other side of the ledger, I think I I I hope for I stand for that in 20 years we get that we have caused a huge chunk of the chronic disease that people are dealing with in life.
1: Well, I I hope so, too. And it's really interesting because when I look at the silver lining of things, because I always I'm, I'm one of these cup half full kind of characters and really do like to look at life that way. If there is a silver lining to the COVID vaccine rollout, or really just the COVID lockdowns, the entire COVID picture, it is that a lot of people did all of a sudden notice some stuff that they hadn't noticed before. Um, They noticed government overreach in ways that they'd never experienced before. They noticed, I think, propaganda in ways that they never noticed before. They noticed um, how uh, powerful... Um, media censorship can be, even though a lot of this stuff's been kind of censored and suppressed for decades now, particularly when it comes to vaccines. Boy, did we see it on uh, turbo mode during COVID. And a lot of people, I believe, are more aware of it than they ever have been before. I've certainly seen that with people that I know who were a lot less aware uh, up until COVID sort of forced their eyes open to it. And I do believe, too, that because COVID jabs have been called vaccines, even though they're not the same type of drug at all, really, than the, the traditional vaccines, that they have been kind of lumped into that group. And I think it's had a lot more people questioning vaccination at large than ever happened before. That seems to be the feeling that I'm getting. And I think that we are going to look at things a lot differently 20 years from now and maybe even sooner than we are today today. We do need to get uh, wrapping this up, but I, of course, there is a resource we talked about at the very beginning when I was reading through your bio, Andre, called the Vaccine Course. And I want to make sure that my listeners understand what that is and that they have access to that and why they may want to uh, look into it. Tell us about the Vaccine Course.
2: Sure. So the Vaccine Course is, is the research of this group of 16 people and Um, We had technical advisors review each and every chapter. So um, Brian Hooker looked at the Mercury chapter he said, we nailed it. Um, uh, Andy Wakefield on our chapter on his whole debacle in the UK, how they smeared him and, and struck him from getting his license because he was the first one that that detected the connection between the measles vaccine and, um, and autism. He said it was the best exposition that he's seen done yet. So we have top quality information that is basically as though you had read the last 50 published books and gotten just the core bits, the most important ones for you to understand. How is the aluminum moving through the body? Why shouldn't you be doing that sort of stuff? Um, what are the different phenotypes of autism? Were there are six of them that we know of um how are they generated all that sort of stuff it's not for the faint of heart you've got i mean it's very easily presented and we don't use you know fancy language or anything but you got to devote 15 hours to it um you have a it's instructor-led it's at ipac-edu.org where you can sign up and um for people especially new parents or grandparents that always suspected that there was something off with these vaccines if you want a very concentrated dose of knowledge, this is a really great way to do it without having to buy the 50 last published books on vaccines.
1: Yeah, and I will say this, you've heard, you know, a fair amount of um, Andre's um, knowledge and expertise on this topic. I've now spoken to him twice on this episode. I've listened to him speak at the Your Health Freedom Symposium. I'm really excited to listen to uh, what you have to present this year as well. this is a resource that you ought to take advantage of. If this is a question for you, and I I, I will say this, there are a lot of people listening that, well, how do I wanna word this? I'm guessing that if you're listening to this episode right now, that you already have, to some degree, your mind made up about vaccines, one way or the other. They're safe and effective. We're gonna roll out with what the CDC recommendations are. Um, or I think these things are potentially dangerous. We're not going to follow that. Maybe you've come somewhere in the middle where you're going to do limited number of vaccines and spread them out, that sort of thing. Regardless of where you're at on the topic, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. You owe it to yourself and you owe it to your family, your children, to have the education that you need in order to make that decision for what it is. This should not be held to like a religion, one way or the other. Uh, Anti-pro, somewhere in the middle. We just need to look at the information and utilize that information to make the best judgments. It's the same thing I say on every episode of Vitality Radio. Don't turn your health over to someone in a white coat. Don't turn your health over to some podcaster that talks about herbs and vitamins like me. Don't turn your health over to anybody other than You, you and your family get to make the choice as to what you're putting in your bodies, what you're not putting in your bodies. And if you don't have the education, then how will you know what those answers are? Get educated. The vaccine course is one I highly recommend. Like I say, I'll link to a few other podcast episodes where I've talked to other experts on this topic. You certainly can talk to your pediatrician. You can look at what the CDC has to say. You can look at both sides of the coin. I will tell you that from my side of the story, as a father of six and now a grandfather of a couple that are coming a month from now and two months from now, um, I will say this. I've done my homework. I've done my research. I'm very comfortable delivering this message with you that is a potentially controversial one. I understand that, but this is information that needs to get out there. Our children... And the health of our country and our world is at risk, and we owe it to ourselves to do the homework. So please do that. I appreciate you, Andre, for joining us on Vitality Radio today. Once again, I can't wait to see you in a few weeks.
2: Thanks for having me, Jared. And and the uh, the, the actual topic I'll be talking about, I'll be going into some depth on why we think the CDC is running two sets of books with VARES. I'll, I'll be presenting oh. along with Liz Wilner on that and the evidence that we have that they're actually running two sets of books so it's actually quite more nefarious the data that they're doing they're using a filtering process to make the data look better than it actually is and we think we caught them um, So that's one of the topics um, I'll be talking about at the at the conference so definitely well, I... do the vaccine course but come to the conference and you're going to also hear Dr. Pierre Cory you're, you're going to be talking. People are going to get in in one day another great shot of information that could just radically change their world.
1: Absolutely, I tell people, and I, it's not an underst—it's not an overstatement at all. Your health freedom symposium is like my other Christmas every year. I look forward to this thing. It's so much fun. The information well, is so great. I love it.
2: Yeah, Kristen and her team are also one of the most effective legislative groups of any of the states.
1: They're fantastic.
2: So Utah is, is really lucky to have that group of people. And um, because they're pushing back on all sorts of things from mandates to um, uh, dissemination of information that shouldn't be getting out there, personal information, medical information. So this is a really this is actually one of the top groups in the states fighting for medical freedom rights. Um, please go out, listen to the speakers that she's put together and support them with your time and a few dollars for a ticket. Yeah, 100%
1: agree. Andre, thanks again for joining me on Vitality Radio. I sure appreciate you. We'll see you soon.
2: My pleasure. Great talking to you, Jared.
1: All right. My next guest today is going to also be speaking with me at the Your Health Freedom Symposium in West Jordan, Utah on October 7th. If I haven't convinced you to come yet, I'm going to continue to try because this is going to be an amazing event. Uh, This guest I've never met before. We just met five minutes ago talking just a little bit about what we're talking about today. So much of the information she'll share I think will be new to me as well, which I love. Uh, Her name is Tricia Lindsay. She's an Attorney uh, and a former educator. She focuses her uh, legal work on civil rights and constitutional law, uh, as well as family law, with a focus on children, because as she said, dealing with parent, uh, adults is much less fun. And uh, with that, I'll welcome to the show Tricia Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me on Vitality Radio.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor. <laughs>
1: Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, why you would be invited to speak at a health freedom symposium.
3: Hmm. I think I'm invited because I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rebel rouser. <laughs> so I'm a former educator um, with a nursing background, believe it or not, and I have a biology um, an undergrad in nursing. And so I taught biology while I was an educator and I was a quasi-administrator. And I say quasi because I functioned in the role, but during that time I decided to enter law school because I saw that there were some things that needed to be addressed within the education system that I could not address while working in the system because you can't fight the system that's feeding you. right? And so I had been in it for a number of years, recognized certain matters that were very troubling to me. And so I decided to go to law school. Went to law school, um, knew I was gonna leave, left my job, um my teaching my education and slash administrative position and started a law firm where i got a a crash course in civil rights law um practice and i learned so much in such a short time and when COVID happened i understood why because when COVID happened i i i saw what was going to to come I, i i don't know necessarily how or why i think i'm just a thinker I've always been a quote unquote conspiracy theorist. I wear that badge. I wear it um, as a badge of honor because to me it just says that I'm thinking and I'm not just accepting what anyone is telling me. Um, And so I just started looking into um, what was going on, what was happening in certain states, certain politicians, governors, mayors, the reactions, the the health department, it just didn't make sense. And then biologically, what they were telling us to do as far as locking down in our homes because there was this deadly airborne virus just didn't make sense at all. And that what to me was just basic biology. And so I thought about it, started speaking out early on, just trying to um, encourage people not to comply, not to go into our homes to lock, you know, and close our doors. I was out every day riding my bike, walking, you know, I, I, I did everything the opposite of what they were telling people to do. And so I think because I spoke out, you know, so early and was so forceful with it, that's why I'm speaking at Your Health Freedom because I believe in what I said.
1: Awesome. And you're in New York, is that right? I am
3: in New York, Yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, kind of the belly of the beast when it comes mm-hmm. to COVID, right? New York yeah. and LA kind of being the, or Believers. California generally, right? Yeah. Uh, so bucking the system there, requires i would say a little bit more courage uh (laughs) than maybe it did in utah where i'm at although utah was a lot more locked down than i hoped it would be wow uh it's it's funny too because you and i can commiserate on that because i actually went back and listened to an episode of the show i did april early april of 2020 and i went back almost hesitantly thinking i hope i didn't sound like an idiot you know talking about covid (laughs) i just listened to it about six months ago and then I listened to it and I thought, oh, my gosh, I kind of had a lot of stuff figured out early on. Yeah. Thank goodness. And yes, I have my own tinfoil hats. But uh, it's it's great to talk to someone who's in a position where you understand the law, you understand the Constitution, and you can see the issues, of course, that arose during COVID. When we were getting to know each other right before the recording, you said COVID is perhaps the biggest Trojan horse in history. Tell me what you mean by that.
3: Because COVID was used to usher in a number of things. They it, it came in purported they the powers that be brought this introduced us to this virus um, as and pretended as if they were so concerned about our health and our lives and our families. And it wasn't that. COVID ushered in um, a whole stream of um, a larger agenda, a nefarious agenda, and which was covered up which we did not see, which the average person did not see. Those of us that were questioning in the beginning knew something was there, but just wasn't quite sure what it was. But as time progressed and as mandates were pushed and um, our rights um, were eroded, our freedoms were eroded, it became very clear that this was something else. So here you have this virus coming in, um, quote unquote virus coming in and these laws or mandates, rules and regulations um, being built or implemented on the backs of it. But while that was happening, our freedoms were being taken away. So it it was presented as one thing, but it was actually something else. COVID was the greatest attack on our freedoms and our rights in this country. It is the vehicle and the tool by which they are using to erode the constitution. And our basic rights, our basic freedoms. And people did not understand that because they pumped fear into everyone. They used television and mainstream media 365 days, 24 hours a day, to const- constantly pump fear and false information just to get, just to paralyze our society and paralyze our communities. And people were literally in fear of their lives. And then when they put masks on everyone and just, were allowed, we were just allowed to show our eyes, which just pretty much represented the fear based upon the information that people were receiving. It worked, it it worked magnificently. I'm so sorry, I thought I stopped that. (laughs) It worked magnificently. And, um, you know, people were not, were not realizing what was happening. And within that, I mean, we lost our freedom of speech, right, our bodily autonomy. I mean, people, when I started speaking about bodily autonomy and um, our 14th Amendment right to equal protection and the Fourth Amendment right to be safe and secure in our bodies, people were just repeating, but I don't think they understood exactly what was going on. You know, and I said, when you are, we have the right to be free in our body, in our persons, in our effects, in our things. We have the right to govern our homes. We have the right To the care custody and control of our children and each and every one of those rights were taken away but then you can go even deeper you had people that were sitting that were arrested and sitting in jails that were that lost the right um to a jury of their peers a right to confront their accusers they lost the right to a speedy trial they lost the right i mean it was just so many things that were happening at one time and it's continuing to now and so that's what i mean their mandates were set up supposedly to address the health issues or the health implications of this virus. So why did all these other things happen? How did our, our very basic rights get attacked? We couldn't travel, we couldn't work, which took away our, the right pretty much to take care of our families. People could not feed their families. We couldn't conduct business. They stopped up the stream of commerce. I mean, there were so many things that happened that people did not think about that were coming based on this one virus, as if we had never had viruses in this earth, as if we had never dealt with, I mean, if you look at the statistics with the flu virus and how many people die per year, if you look at how many people are killed by drunk drivers, if you look at how many people die from all heart disease and cancer and all these other things, how, why was COVID so different? And then the nonsense that it was this airborne disease. I said to people, if it's airborne, we're all dead anyway, because it's airborne. How are we still walking mm-hmm. around? If this is an airborne disease that's going to kill us, that's so deadly, that we have to lock up in our houses so COVID, the air does not come through the house, so we're gonna die at home from suffocation because if the air is not circulating and air cannot come in and out of the home, then we're gonna die. It just didn't make sense. But then I thought about it and being an educator and with what I had witnessed over the years of the erosion of education and how the education system was not set up to educate us. It was set up to turn us into robots that perform and, 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 and carry out certain functions to support a certain system, which does not in turn benefit us, right? And so if you look at it and people say, what are you talking about? Education education is just broken and it needs to be fixed. No, education is not broken, Education is doing exactly what the system was set up to do. And that's a deeper conversation. But if you look at what education was designed for and who designed it and why it even has the the, the number of years and, and the levels that it has, it's directly correlated to what's going on today. And which is why people are not thinking and just simply taking orders and being told to do and perform and, and, and in a certain way that doesn't make logical sense and no one's thinking. And you can literally stand in front of certain people and show them statistics. You can show them evidence. You can show them the information and they will still look at you like you're a blank slate and you're the crazy one, right? And mm-hmm. so it just, it just all ties together. And so for me, the systems of the world that have been designed, that we were told were designed to help us and to take care of us and protect us, That's not what they're designed for. And COVID not only was the greatest Trojan horse experiment ever, but it was the great revealer because COVID also revealed what was actually going on in this country and in this world. And so,
1: well, and I couldn't agree with you more on that, that second part, the revealing uh, aspect of it, because one of the things that I've been telling my listeners for quite a while now is that there there's. With every challenge that we face individually or as a nation, as a family, whatever it is, whatever group we're looking at, there's always the potential for growth and a, a stronger version of that thing, or there's the potential to let it erode and, and fall apart, right? And there was the silver lining of COVID, in my view, is that millions of people did have their eyes opened and saw a lot of stuff that they had not seen before, that they hadn't been looking for, and it was so... So much was shoved down our throats that many people started to regurgitate that stuff and said, wait a minute, this isn't okay. So I think that th- those that are listening to this show largely are going to agree with everything you've said up to this point. I think the big concern with people that are uh, more aware of this, that were fighting back, that were refusing mandates, things like that. The question I think on most people's minds at this point is, okay, so what... What do you think is coming next? Because here we are coming up on quote unquote cold and flu season, right? And the billboards are back up in Utah telling every kid over the age of six months to get a COVID vaccine. And everybody's got to get their flu vaccine. We all have to stay safe from all of these dangerous things. And our taxpayer money is paying to propagandize the public with these things right now. We're seeing it again. What do you think is next based on what happened before? Because to me, it feels like things are ramping up again, and I'm curious your thoughts on that.
3: I think, I think it is, and I, but I think it's largely dependent on the people, again, I really do. Um, if it's the same agenda being pushed again, there's a certain sect of section of society um, throughout the country and throughout the world that is still um, believing. Mm -hmm. Um, the Okie doke (laughs) still believing it. And so I think the government, those that are pushing this whole agenda, they're dependent on those people. So in other words, they have pumped so much fear into society. They have pushed, you know, they have taken away freedoms. They have coerced, they have threatened. They've done so much that there's a certain section of our society that has been paralyzed. And they unfortunately have not awakened and don't realize what's going on. So I think the dependency is on those people to push the agenda and pretty much to attack those of us that stand and refuse to comply. Because I saw that coming before, and I said it when they first lifted the mandates, especially in New York, I watched the pattern. What happened was um, Governor Huckle was in. She she was now in office as governor. The mayor was now running or, or vice versa. She lifted the mandates. Right. And said, oh, no, we're not going to have mandates anymore. We don't need it. You know, it's not necessary. But then Eric Adams, the mayor, was pushing the mandates at the local level because she said, well, they can decide what they want to do each mayor over his city and things of that nature. So I said, it's the bait and switch. It's the old bait and switch. I said, they're having their private meetings and they are setting up this whole agenda because now that she's in office, that's fine. She, you know, she's running for office. So she's going to lift the mandates. He's already in or vice versa. So he can push it. And I said, it's the bait and switch. And they are relying on those people in society, which we started hearing the echoing of coworkers saying, well, if they don't want to take the vaccine, they deserve not to have their job. Mm -hmm. We heard certain... um, Hollywood stars or people with influence saying, well, they deserve XYZ, you know, they deserve to go to jail or deserve not to have, um, be able to get food and think people were just turning on each other, you know, based upon this whole belief that those of us that weren't complying with taking the vaccines or wearing masks, that we were this, this, I guess, this infected individual that was a menace to society you know and was going to cause all these deaths so i think that's what they're depending on that there's enough people in society that has bought that has um that has bought into this and are fully wholly convinced and so there is enough of them that will pretty much attack us or push us in order to get us to comply but i don't think it's going to work i think it's too many of us that have awakened now i think there's too many of us that are not willing to comply um, but it is still going to be a fight. So they're going to push it. They're going to squeeze a little harder. They're going to push a little harder, um, more forceful. But we now have been equipped. We now have information. And we now know that there are a lot There are a lot more people that are fighting this than what they wanted us to believe. And so we just need to fight. We just need to fight because this is it. The 15-minute cities that they're coming up with. That's freedoms that are being taken away. And people don't understand that. They don't understand that. That's violation of Privacy. How are they going to know where I'm going and what I'm doing and why am I locked into this city, the city boundary? It's not going to be pushed as that. It's going to be pushed as these conveniences and everything's going to be provided to you and how it's going to benefit you. No, it's not. It's another way of taking away our right to travel, the right to choose where we want to live, where we want to shop, where we want to go. All these different things and people just really have to stay on top of this because it's just the same agenda coming in different ways and just using different mechanisms to come in. So they're going to push it, you know, and they're just choosing different avenues, different ideas, different concepts, different streams of, of manipulation and control and hypnosis. I almost call it because, and people, there will be people that will fall for it, but there will be a lot of people that won't. And those of us that realize what's going on, we just have to hold the line and continue to push back. And like I always tell people, I don't fight anyone who wants to go down the path, who wants to join the line of sheep anymore. I don't. I will give you the information. I will try my best to convince you. But a man who is convinced of a thing remains in the same mindset still afterwards. So if I have to convince you so much, that means you really have your mind made up. And this is like a waste of time. But if you really want information to make an informed decision, I'll give it to you. But after that, I'm not fighting you. I'll leave you to make your decision.
1: Yeah. And, I, and that's exactly right. And unfortunately, that's one of the, I think the, most powerful tools that they've used is the division the tool of division you know to take us and pit us against each other and it's not you know in this country for years it's been right versus left right there's always been that absolutely Um, but now we also have they've made health a political issue right and of course there's still a lot of right versus left there Mm -hmm. too But there's also vaccinated versus unvaccinated, masked versus unmasked. Um, There's a lot of that sort of thing going on where people are pointing fingers, calling each other's names and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're I'm right. I'm right. All of this kind of thing. I think one of the biggest questions that that um, you can probably help people with because of the fact that you've got the background that you do uh, in the law and in education is, okay. so. If, we've, if we see this coming, if we kind of woke up to some of this stuff during the first round of COVID uh, starting in 2020, and we're educating ourselves, listening to podcasts like this one, uh, looking at things that are being, uh, you know, looking at things on Substack and Rumble where we can't see it on YouTube mm-hmm. or whatever else because of the censorship, right. we're aware what as an individual citizen can we do?
3: There, you know what? I tell people everyone is designed for something different. And I just need to add a caveat to what you said earlier. Vax versus unvaxed, mask versus unmasked, right versus left. And when all those don't work, race versus race, black yeah. versus white. Right. And that's what they do. They throw Mm -hmm. these things in us to get our emotions going and to pit us against each other. And I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist, it does, but racism doesn't benefit anybody except for the government, those that put it in place in order to keep us divided. Because if we are united as one, we're stronger together, right? And at the end of the day, we're more alike than we are different. And that's one of the benefits of COVID, that with behind COVID, you had everyone setting aside their differences. Well, not everyone, but a many people Right. You had black and white joining together. You had Muslim, Catholic, Jew. Gen- I mean, just coming together as one, the true United Nations to fight a common cause. And that was for rights, freedoms, for the virtual life. And so in that respect, COVID was wonderful and they did not yeah. see that coming. And if we can just remember that and continue along that path and just realize that the divisiveness only benefits them, it doesn't help us then we will be fine, we'll be just great. But now back to your question. What was your question again, Jack? I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no, that's, it's okay. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> glad you mentioned that. I mean, here we have black versus white, potentially, right? And here we are on the same page, uh, you know, sharing the same message. And and yet everything is, is trumped up to be bigger than it actually is to make us fear more than we actually need to Absolutely. to make us feel more division against our fellow man here in this country, our fellow citizen. Absolutely. The question is, as individuals, people who were not in office, uh, maybe we are a guy that runs a supplement store like me or someone who, uh, you know, is a school teacher or someone who's, uh, you know, who knows, a, a painter or whatever it is that we're doing that isn't uh, necessarily in the political realm. As an individual citizen of this country, as these things roll out again, what can we do?
3: Support those that are fighting. That's one thing. Support those okay. that are on the front line fighting. I was speaking to someone yesterday, and we were talking about attorneys that are in this fight, and I said, there are few of us. It's not a lot of us, because most of the, the major law firms are not in this fight. They are on the opposite side, right? And so most of the attorneys that are involved in this are lone rangers. They're solo practitioners or small business, small small firms that are fighting this because we're not really bought by anyone. We are, we're holding mm-hmm. our own. And so we're free to say what we want to say and do what we want to do to a certain respect, but it's still a risk that we're all taking. And I said, we can't continue. She was saying to me that the attorneys are not taking contingency cases anymore and she can't find one. And I said, because they're inundated. <laughs> I said, they're inundated. They're, they're really overwhelmed because there's so many people that need help and it's so difficult. And if they're not able to maintain their practice, then they cannot continue to fight. And so there has to come a point where attorneys draw the line and say, I can't take your case. Let me recommend you to to this person or that person mm-hmm. who may be able to take it. So that's one way you can support. I, I, do, I know there are funds set up. Um, people have set up nonprofits and things of that nature to support people who want to bring lawsuits whose rights have been violated and cannot necessarily find an attorney or attorney cannot take another contingency case that's one way. Two, if you're in any depending on what your job is or your placement, your influence in society, your positioning, there's always something that a person can do. Everyone is not going to do the same thing, but you can do something. There are kids that are not allowed to go to school because of vax because their parents are not vaccinating them. Set up schools within your in your communities. Help parents You know, I mean, you can go back to basic grassroots. That's what most of these large movements were won on. It's grassroots because we're not going to get support from the larger institutions. We're not going to get support from government. If you are of the mindset, run for office. An average citizen is what we need running for office because government has been taken over by too many of the same people, right? And they're trying to lock the average citizen out who can speak for the average citizens, who can speak for the people. Right? And so that's what's going on. I mean, in New York state legislature, they gave themselves a 30 percent raise. I think it was last year, two years ago or last year. It's being fought right now. But along with the new with the, with the raise, they put in a provision whereby anybody that's in office cannot make more than thirty five thousand dollars a year outside of their office. So now an average person who wants to run for office, who has the interests of the people at heart, they cannot maintain a business or a profession outside of that that will pay them more than 35,000. So how do I run for office? Because eventually that is going to end and I'm gonna to need to fall back on something. Mm-hmm. But I can't because I'm not gonna have any money. I'm not gonna have anything to fall back on. So now I have to buy into this, stay in here. And so now I'm bought and owned by the legislature, right? So now my vote is owned or my vote is directed. My freedom of speech is, is, is shut down. So now I'm not representing the average person. I'm representing the special interest. Of the groups that have me here. So we need to fight back. We need to stay in touch on top of what's going on in our government. We need to stay on top of the, the bills that are coming down, vote, flood your legislatures, um, run for office, find someone who represents your values, what you want to be done, and back them. Push them. If they want to run for office, support them. You know, there's so many that can be done on the local level in your communities, in local level of government and the different institutions, the different there's a lot that can be done. Find your niche. That's what I tell people. What are you passionate about with this? What do you feel like you should do What and can do? Do it. Volunteer for an organization that's fighting it, right? Or get involved with that organization. There are a number of them that's doing it. Um, attend the rallies, attend the events, support like, your health freedom so that they can continue to do things like this and inform the public. So there's so much that can be done. You know, and everyone is not going to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. We all need our we all need to do our part, though. Right, we need to and we're all being silent. And we're yes.
3: all magistrates. We're all yeah. magistrates because the magistrate is the one who sits under the authority of someone with authority. And in this country, and this has been my message for years, for the past few years, in this country, the magistrates we, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, we sit under the authority of God. Government sits under the people. That's the order in this country. And so we have to take our place and position ourselves and demand that government answers to us. Demand, the way that they're pushing back on our president right now and making demands. The fact that they're not listening to the typical voices that they would send out to rally the crowd for certain people That's amazing when I see it, you know, people saying, "Ah, we're not listening to you anymore because you've been lying. You're not telling the truth. You're not good for us. You're not working for us. And they're looking at attacks on other people and saying, why are they attacking this person so much? Something is wrong. This doesn't make sense. That's a great sign. That's everyone speaking out. And on those platforms, on their Instagrams, on their Facebooks, on their YouTube, and making demands, making videos, making songs, rallying their families, rallying their communities, all of them are playing a part. There's no part bigger than the other. No part. It's just where you are placed in this fight. That's I all. love
1: that. And I know you've got another meeting you've got to jump to, and we're, we're a little bit over time, so I don't want to take advantage of your time too much. Your powerful voice in this. I'm so glad to have made your acquaintance. I appreciate you coming on Vitality Radio today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: And for everybody listening, one of the things that she mentioned, and I couldn't agree more, if you're not aware of what Your Health Freedom is doing here in Utah, and I know that my audience goes way outside of Utah, but a lot of you are here. Uh, Your Health Freedom is the absolute powerhouse of uh, legislative action in this state to prevent things like vaccine mandates, mask mandates, and everything else. They did incredible work during COVID uh, to uh, protect our freedoms, and they've been doing that now for about nine years, I believe. Please come to the Your Health Freedom Symposium. We'd love to have you October 7th. It's yourhealthfreedom.org uh, for tickets. Again, for myself and for Tricia Lindsay, we hope to see you there. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio.
0: You've been listening to the Vitality Radio podcast. Enjoy your week. In the meantime, Jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it. Vitality Radio is researched and written by Jared St. Clair. Our awesome music is by Brian Bob Young. Support Vitality Radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast source. Don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag VitalityRadioPodcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you.